This is the Dr. Mike Sevilla podcast for Sunday, September 3, 2017. This is episode 362. Uh, and I know it's been a long time since uh, I've released a podcast. This is actually the audio uh, of a uh, Facebook Live interview uh, that I did with my uh, good friend, Dr. Joy Fessinger, who is a family physician, and he is also a, uh, a longtime uh, resident uh, of uh, Houston, Texas. And uh, as we record this, um, Hurricane Harvey uh, has went through that area, I think probably around, I want to say about uh, one or two weeks ago. And uh, we recorded this interview less than a week after landfall, and I wanted to share this audio portion with you uh, of our chat. And we talk about a variety of topics. We talk about um, uh, him and his family before the uh, before the, the landfall of Hurricane Harvey. We talked about him um, and his family talking uh, about you know when and if to uh, you know evacuate their home for a few days to go to higher ground. Uh, we also talked about uh, some things like the uh, local charities in the area. We talked about the response of his neighborhood. Uh, we also talked about the uh, the upcoming. Uh, American Academy of Family Physicians Family Medicine Experience Conference, or AAFP-FMX. Uh, so I hope you enjoy uh, our chat. Um, I really appreciate uh, Troy um, taking the time um, as he is kind of just uh, going through his home and cleaning through his house. Uh, but to check out more information from me, just go to drmikesvilla.com. And uh, here is our chat with Dr. Troy Fessinger um, of Houston, Texas. All right. Hello there, people. Uh, this is uh, your friend, Mike, Mike Savilla, and uh, drmikesavilla.com. And uh, I have an interesting uh, story for all of you tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm going to be interviewing a good friend of ours from uh, Family Medicine, Family Medicine Revolution, um, our good friend uh, Troy Fessinger from Texas, not only Texas, uh, but the Houston area. So, uh, Troy, thank you so much for the time tonight. Thanks for coming on. I know you've been very busy uh, doing a lot of things down there. So, thank you. It's good to be here. Um, all right, Troy. So, uh, you know, I know, uh, you know one of the awesome things about uh, social media is that you've been, you know, you've been broadcasting some things from down there. You've been getting some well wishes from down there. But uh, let's just kind of start from, you know, kind of the beginning, even before the landfall of, of Hurricane Harvey and uh, kind of talk about, you know, maybe about, uh, you know, maybe about a week, 10 days ago uh, when you first started uh, hearing about this storm what kind of things were you seeing? What kind of things were you hearing? What was kind of going through your mind maybe about a week, 10 days ago? So I think that's a great place to start because I grew up here. My family lives here and we get hurricanes all the time. So for my brother and I, it was just, there's a storm in the Gulf. It's down South of the Yucatan. No big deal. It'll hit who knows where. And then my brother calls me and says, you know, that de tropical depression's heading our way and it's going to escalate. I said, really? So I checked the map and it's heading straight for Texas with a path charted due north. And I think that's when it started to become real. But okay, we need to prepare. But still thinking it's routine. Make sure we have enough water. Make sure we have batteries. Gas up the cars. And 
everyone I live around and work with is doing the same thing. Same stuff we go through every storm, every summer. Um, and then the storm just kept escalating. It went from a depression to a tropical storm to a Category 1 hurricane all the way up to, I believe, a 4 when it made landfall. And that's what really got my brother and I surprised us is this storm just escalated really fast, got really powerful, really big. So when it made landfall near Corpus Christi, it was a serious hurricane, not just another storm. Um, and for my brother and I, our mother lives about halfway between the two of us. So it's what we do about mom. Coworkers are checking on each other. Everybody's checking on their families. Um, and then things just escalated from there faster than I think any of us expected them to. And that was probably Thursday, Friday um, last week. So uh, a lot of the things that, that was talked about early right after landfall was, you know, evacuation and all that kind of stuff. Um, from what I've been reading and what I've been seeing, um, the storm strengthened so much that w- that was probably not an option because, you know, everybody you know, on, on the coast there uh, is kind of watching this. And, and um, uh, they're talking about Hurricane Rita and, and, and the, uh, the tragic stories of people trying to get out of Houston there. Um, but in your head and in your discussions with your friends and family, there was, um, you know, how, how much was evacuation in, in your mind or how much, how much was of a priority, you know, that Wednesday, Thursday area. Right. So I think if you're talking about Houston, um, evacuation was not a thought on our minds or anybody's minds. And there's a couple important reasons for that. Our, the death toll is currently 28 people, a hundred people died in the hurricane Rita evacuation and that evacuation missed Houston. Or sorry, the, that hurricane missed Houston. So I had just moved back to the area then. We remember that. And the emergency planning authorities factored that in. And there were no orders to evacuate. The county judge and mayor have caught a lot of flack for that nationally. But I think they were right. Um, we still have lost a third of the lives that we lost during an evacuation for a storm that missed us. And I think people who don't live down here don't quite appreciate we're a city of 2.2 million, a county of 4.4 million. And that doesn't even count all the surrounding cities. You have a eight county area of six, seven million people limited. Well, we have a great freeway system, but you put seven million people out on the roads and then county roads, back roads, some of which are flooded, some are impassable you could have literally a disaster just in the evacuation. Um, smaller, many smaller towns in the path of the storm did evacuate closer to Corpus Christi and Rockport. Um, but I think for two reasons, evacuation wasn't considered. One, feasibility is a big problem. And two, our experience with evacuation is pretty terrible. Um, you alluded to some stories. I mean, there were a busload of senior citizens died when it caught fire. Um, trying to get away. And people remember that. Um. So, um, so landfall happens late Friday night, early Saturday morning. And, you know, as I'm watching the news kind of on Saturday there, they said, okay, there was, there was landfall. There's some wind damage. Um, But the real story now is going to be the amount of rainfall and the history. And I wasn't really uh, that familiar with the history of Houston and flooding. 
Um, so, I mean, you're, you're very familiar with that. Uh, you know, t- tell my audience a little bit about, you know, your, your history of, of, uh, of flooding in the Houston area. And then what are your thoughts going in, you know, all day Saturday? Are you starting to see some things rise on, you know, that the, you see starting to see some water on Saturday and Saturday morning, afternoon, night? What, what are you seeing on that Saturday? Yeah, so that's actually a great point about the rain. One thing that's very different about this storm is that it had high winds, but it dumped a huge amount of rain. And this gets into a bit of science, but we talk about the dirty side of the storm down here. And what that means is these storms rotate counterclockwise. And if you're on the east side of the storm and it's right off the Gulf of Mexico, it's picking up all the water from the Gulf and then dumping it once it hits land. So Corpus Christi and Rockport, southwest of us, got the high winds, they got the tidal surge, the waves, stuff that's very damaging and dangerous. And then the storm headed towards San Antonio, then started going back south to the coast, which hardly ever happens. They usually spin off into central Texas, end up in the Midwest or Arkansas or Tennessee, and things slowly peter out. This one went back south, and then started running up the coast straight for Houston. So it just kept pushing more and more rain our way, dumping more and more rain our way. Um, and that really became the huge issue. Um, you know, you see the stats on TV, players haven't seen them, but we've gotten more rain in one storm than we average in a year. And it's the biggest storm I or anyone else can remember in terms of rainfall. And People I know who were here during Hurricane Al- sorry, Tropical Storm Allison that flooded Houston, created dramatic images on TV, killed a fair number of people. This was bigger and dumped more rain. And that's mind-boggling because I remember the images of freeways underwater with semis floating, and this is a worse storm. So if you flash forward to flood control, to make it simple, if you dialed the clock back to before Houston was settled, this was a swamp. And the swamp filled up with water. The bayous drained it out to Galveston Bay. As people settled and we developed the area, the bayous were preserved, but turned into flood control channels. Um, Houston keeps growing and growing and really takes off after World War II. And now we're at the size that I mentioned. And we sprawl over almost the entire county. So Houston has a reputation well-earned for being a very wide, broad city. Um, so you take all these bayous that were turned into flood channels in the 50s. You have reservoirs west of town that were built in the 40s. And then you dump a year of rain in three days on that system. And it just overloaded it. Um, and the story of my neighborhood, we live a quarter mile off what's called Brace Bayou, which runs basically west to east through our neighborhood and out to Galveston Bay is set up as a flood control channel. 99% of the time it's two feet deep. It has a really nice green belt along it. You walk, you jog. It's an attractive place to go exercise and why a lot of people come to the area. Then you dump all this rain and we're draining, not just our neighborhood. We're draining 168,000 people who live in the watershed of this bayou that was really our problem. It's not what's dumped on our neighborhood. It's that we're getting everything dumped in that whole watershed that's got to go through our neighborhood to get to the Gulf. 
Um, and you multiply that by the, all the bayous in Houston. There's five or six major bayous. Every single one works the same way as flood control, but you dump enough rain on it, you fill up the reservoirs, fill up the retention basins, and the water's got to go somewhere. Um, now, one of the uh, one of the cool things about uh, technology is that um, you know, of course, Facebook. Uh, and I saw you if, um, sharing on your Facebook feed over that weekend. Um, it, it was probably an app for I don't know if it was the Bayou or if it was the what, what, what was that that you were measuring that just you know that kept going up as far as the water yeah. and all that. The one thing the flow control authority has done really well is all the monitoring stations are linked to their website and anyone can pull up the website, pull up any monitoring station they want. So the station I kept posting is the one about two and a half miles from my house on this bayou. So we're watching it like hawks, watching the water level go up, seeing if it's going to top the banks. And once it top the banks, then it goes over the banks and the waters are flowing down into the neighborhoods, which are slightly lower than the banks. Um, my house is actually higher than the top of the bank, but the water, once it overflows the banks, comes down the streets and gets trapped. And then in, it's the only way out is the storm drains. Well, the storm drains go back into the bayou. So storm drains don't empty when the bayou is full. And that's when the neighborhood floods. I mean, literally, my backyard drains to the street, the street drains to the bayou. When the bayou is full, it's like a full bathtub and everything just goes backwards. Um, so my house ended up flooding from all sides and through water coming up through the foundation. Yeah, I was uh, I, I was on call last weekend uh, and I was up at, you know, four or five, six o'clock Eastern time, you know, before dawn on Sunday. And I saw you were posting things and I saw that you were posting uh, the water creeping towards your front door. Uh, what were the feelings going through your head? I mean, it, and I know it was before dawn because it was pretty dark out there. I mean, did you, yeah. did you not sleep the night before? What was going through your mind that, that night before? Um, we didn't sleep a lot at all because there was a tornado warning between 8 and 9 p.m. After the tornadoes had struck a neighborhood 10 miles south of us, and I could see the lightning flashes and thunder of that storm. So we started off the night huddled in the interior hallway of our house, waiting for a tornado to hit, which thankfully it didn't hit us. Um, then we check the gauge. We look out the door. Okay. The street's filling. All right. It's coming up the sidewalk a little bit. In our experience, the water never quite got into our house, even in serious floods we had two years ago. Um, but we keep checking because this is a big storm and we're watching that big mass of rain on the radar and the water keeps coming up and then it starts seeping in. Um, we put towels on all the door jams, but it just keeps seeping in, soaks the towels. And really pretty fast, we had three to four inches in the house. Um, thankfully, before that, my wife had already raised up furniture, got the kids to put all their stuff up, and we elevated as many things as we could, thinking we'll get a few inches in the house, worst case scenario. But in the past, floods, the water had stopped literally a few inches shy of the door. And we were dry because we're a little bit higher than other parts of the street. But this water just kept going. So that's when it switched from something that seemed a potential problem, but not a significant problem to this is a flood and we are in the middle of it. And this is real. 
And that was the biggest thing for me is it went from just another hurricane, like I've been through before in my life to I'm now in the middle of a flood and we got to get out. Uh, and so, so Sunday I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I'm at the hospital and making rounds and all that. And, uh, you know, I, I see you posting from your car or something like that. You went to one place or another place and I know you wanted to share your story there. And, um, so what was the thinking there? Is that, is that uh, you just wanted to share kind of what was going on from your, in your neighborhood or in your point of view or what, what was your thinking there? Yeah. So it's a mix of one is curiosity, honestly, a lot of us wanted to get out and see what was going on, including the morning the flooding hit. I got on bathing suit and water shoes and a raincoat and went out to reconnoiter the area to see how bad was the flooding. You know, is this bad enough we have to get out? Is this something that we think will pass? And that's where some of that video footage, there's a point where I'm walking across a bridge that crosses the bayou and I'm walking from what we call South Brazewood Boulevard to North Brazewood. And I'm walking towards a nursing home. It's been in the area for years. And that's where I'm in chest deep water and looking at flooded cars. And um, that's when I turned around because I could feel the currents. I was the Boy Scout. I know floodwaters kill you. I'm going to head back to the house. I get back to the house. The water's still coming up. And it's, we can tell it's not going down anytime soon because a bayou that's usually two feet deep is now flooding an area that's probably half a mile across, quarter mile across. Um, and we know from past floods, it drains down in the neighborhoods, gets stuck, and everything keeps filling up. So at that point, we got the dogs, we grabbed the kids, we grabbed whatever we needed as necessities and headed out the door into need a waste high water had to walk down the street and then down about six blocks to get to my sister-in-law's house who hadn't flooded yet. The water was probably a foot from her door. And that was the really scary part. I words can't describe what it's like to be leading your family and your pets who are swimming and your children who are wading through debris. We're getting pushed by currents because the water's draining back in the neighborhood. And we're literally wading through that flood water trying to get to safety. Um, I've never been through that before and I have never been more afraid of my life. Um, now, I, your- I could, this is real. We could drown. We could be hurt. We, I could lose a family member. Wow. My daughter's five foot one, you know, I'm telling her, you know, watch out for that current coming down that street, turn sideways, be careful. And they did great. But Feeling that fear is totally different from reading about it. Um, and did, did you did you lose uh, electricity at all? Did you lose power at all during any in, any of that time? No, we had power the whole time, which was ironic and didn't help a lot. Um, so we got to my sister in law's house. Luckily, her house was like I said, still dry, even though there was water coming up the yard, and that's when things seemed to peak. She's just farther enough from the bayou that she's in a 500-year floodplain. Um, so we are able to get into her house, bring our dogs in, us in, clean off, dry off, get warm clothes, um, and hunker down as the saying goes down here. Um, she can imagine, you know, two full families and six dogs. 
because we had two dogs from somebody else, um, all sitting in this house waiting to see if the water's going to keep going. Because the possibility is water keeps rising, we have to evacuate her house. And at that point, we're walking in flood water to a shelter because the cars are either flooded out or stuck in the driveway. My brother-in-law's car was at a friend's house. They had to walk home through flood water the night before. Um, so we're stuck. And at that point, thankfully, the water stopped rising and we could wait it out. Now, did, did you know kind of the, uh, um, you know, the, the scope of what was happening, um, you know, in the greater Houston area? You know, I mean, were you connected to, I mean, I guess you were connected to Facebook and things. I mean, were you aware of what was happening in other parts of the city or, uh, or not? Yeah. Or? Um, so definitely what to me is so striking about this, not just through social media, but in terms of the impact of the storm, since it was hitting the whole greater Houston area, an eight county area, you know, I'm checking the flood gauge near my mother's house, which is sitting at my old high school. I'm checking the gauges near my brother's house, texting him, calling my mother. Um, one of my high school buddies is on Facebook live on the other side of the bayou showing the water coming up his driveway. So really we use social media to keep track of each other and the internet to access the flood gauges to figure out, do we stay or do we go? Who's in trouble? Who do we need to call to check on? So in a way, in one way we're isolated, another way we're totally connected, which is both kind of a bizarre situation to be in. You know everything, yet you're still isolated and potentially in peril. Um, but you also can check on friends, family, colleagues to get a sense of what's happening. So I think that helped keep us from feeling isolated. And I was worried about my mother. I want to make sure my brother was okay. You know, friends I've known for 30 plus years are all weathering the same storm and we're all trying to make sure everybody's all right. So did, did, uh, did those people's power go out? Were you disconnected from them? Was there a time where you like didn't know what was happening or, or was somebody um, very fortunate that... Really not. I mean, at one point, the transformer behind my sister-in-law's house caught fire and burned out, but we still had cell service. So unlike other hurricanes, cell towers were all active. So we just switched to cellular access and we were able to still stay in touch. Um, we weren't going outside to look around because it was clear to me from my earlier adventure, it's pretty dangerous to do so. Um, but yeah, we never really felt totally cut off. But I think having that access helped because if we hadn't had internet, hadn't had power, all you see is black outside your windows and all you hear is rain. And all you see is water coming up your yard. Um, yeah, I mean, how, 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 does that, how does that feel to, you know, just have minutes and minutes and hours and hours and days of just of just hearing rain and and just being cloudy and and not seeing the sun i mean how i mean i mean that's gotta like mess with your head a little bit and saying you know it's is this a bad movie is it gonna stop any, anytime soon i mean it's i mean because because you've been through these you know something like this before and obviously like, as everybody said it's been nothing like you had before but just days and days and days of just the rain i mean that's that's gotta make yeah. you nuts it was a lot more drawn out. And that's, I think one of the really hard things about hurricanes in general and this storm in particular, 
was how drawn out it is. So you're wired, you're edgy, you're worried, you're nervous, you're anxious. You're trying to decide, should I stay? Should I go? Should I go pick up my mother? Is she safer in her neighborhood than mine? Um, all these decisions are in your head and we're all trying to work because maybe it'll miss us and it'll just keep on going and this will blow over. So that week beforehand, all that's going on. And then even through the weekend, same thing. And yeah, I'm used to hurricanes that blow through usually in 24 hours, do a lot of just damage, but then they're gone. Sun comes out, you clean up and it sucks. It's terrible, but it passes. This was so drawn out. I think the tension and anxiety were a lot higher for everybody. Um, and that added a whole nother level of really disaster to this is how do you emotionally and mentally handle that prolonged time period? Um, I've never served in combat. I have no idea what it's like to serve, but I imagine that's got to be a little bit of what soldiers waiting for a battle feel. And I'm thinking if this is a little bit of what they feel, I can't conceive of what that's really like. But this little piece of that anxiety is just very tough. Um, and, and I would imagine that, you know, your friends and your family and your kids, you know, had a lot of questions like, hey, why, why is this going on for days and days and days? And, and they're probably looking to you. And I mean, I mean, what, what, what do you tell your family? What, what do you tell your kids about, you know, this, yeah. this um, epic, epic storm that never happens? So I'll start with the dogs. And this sounds like a silly thing, but we're pet, we're dog people. We love our pets. And the dogs were so anxious, circling the house, panting constantly. You could just feel their anxiety. Um, the kids actually did pretty well. Um, my niece is in grade school, but she's been through Hurricane Ike. We're, they're in the house we're in now, and they were without power for two weeks. And my brother-in-law says he thought the house was going to shake apart. Uh, my kids went through Ike, too, and were without power. They're in high school. They're a, soft, a junior and senior. Um, so they were really keeping themselves under control. But when I talked to them, they were really, really anxious too. They were just trying really hard to keep it together. Um, and I just tried to keep reassuring them that we're here, we're with family, we're together, we'll all help each other, um, and we will get through this. Dad's been through it before. Mom's been through it before. Your aunt and uncle have been through it before. Um, I guess the things you always tell your children, that it'll be okay, but you're telling them at the same time, it might not be okay. And we might have to take off again. You know, we, I don't want to exaggerate. We're never in, I think, danger of death, but there were several moments where I had to think about the possibility and see it coming and make sure we did the right things to avoid it. So, so you got your sisters and you're, I guess you're just, you're just kind of waiting for, I presume you'd have to wait for the authorities to say, Hey, it's okay to go outside or it's okay to go to your house. Like what, what is that the process of, of, um, you know, trying to get back to your house and trying to do that is you have to wait for the yeah, authorities to kind um, of clear that. Like literally my brother-in-law and I were just glued to those floodgate sites checking them, refreshing them constantly, waiting for the water to top. Um, there's a graph that I posted several times. There's a little blue line and we're just waiting for it to go below the top of the bank. And when it finally started going down, we walked around the streets near her were dry, except for water in the gutters. So I started heading towards my house. 
the first attempt, we got halfway there and my son and I turned around because we could tell the water wasn't drivable. The second time, walked a little more. It's like, hey, it's dry. Great. Son, let's get in the car. We need to grab a few things. Um, there's some stuff he wanted to check on. And, you know, we wanted to get out because we've been cooped up in the house for several days. So we get halfway down the main boulevard, gets through some floodwaters, gets dry again, turn onto the street. I'm able to get down the street, get up my driveway, um, check on my wife's car. House is still flooded. It's a pond from one side of the street to the other. And then I look back down the driveway and the water's gotten higher and it's over the wheels of this truck that's stuck in the middle of the street. And then I look back at the big tow truck that's stuck in our neighborhood and it's up to the flatbed of the tow truck. And I had really this moment of fear that this is what they always told us in Boy Scouts was a situation to get out of. The water's rising. And if I don't do this right, I'm going to flood my engine. The car's going to be stuck. I'll lose my car. And my son and I are going to have to wade back through floodwaters to get out. And that'll happen in just a few minutes. I got out of the house and grabbed what we needed. We're going to try to get to the Walmart to see if it's open. And the water's just shot way up and drove halfway across the yard, got into the street, got out. Thank God the car engine didn't flood and we got back home um, to my sister-in-law's house and we didn't go out for a while after that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was that moment of, you know, I've got a second to make a decision. And if I don't do this just right, my son and I are in real trouble and thank heavens. I made the right decision and did it the right way. But that moment will be etched in my mind for not being sure. And that's where I get back to the confidence is I had this kind of false confidence that I've been through these for 47 years and I've never had that moment of, we might not get out of this if we don't do this right. Um, that was chilling. And I, my son was a trooper, but it's like, son, we have to go now get in the car in that tone of voice. When your father says that you, get the car as fast as you can, but you're shaking inside. Um, wow. So, so you get back. Sorry, my father wasn't there to help me, you know, <laughs> I could have uh, used him. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you get back and, and, and then you get back to kind of refreshing uh, the levels and things and, and then trying to kind of see where things, things stand. Yeah. Um, the things really improved after that, the rain, we got more and more, gaps in the rain bands. Um, the neighborhood slowly started to drain. We were finally able to get back to the house. And after the streets were completely dry, because I didn't try that again, driving through floodwaters. You get one, <laughs> you can do that once and you don't get a second chance. So what, um, what, what was it like when you, when you first, you know, saw sunlight and no, you know, less clouds and no clouds. What was that feeling like? I'll, I'll tell it this way. I didn't even know the sun had come out until we were watching the news because the power had come back on and the newscasters pulled up a shot of the sun and said, Hey, look, and they all turned around. These are like pro newscasters, very sophisticated. They're like, wow, the sun's out. And then I look out the window. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> the sun's out. Um, and we all had, I imagine this collective moment citywide of everyone from 
these professional newscasters down to me and my brother and sister-in-law's living room suddenly realizing, oh, it's not raining anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was, I won't say magical, but it was a pretty powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine. Uh, I, I just saw the the people kind of talking to newscasters about, you know, what it was like to see the sun after, you know, days and days and days of rain and, and clouds. Um, uh, so if I follow the timeline, right. So you were, so you got back into your house yesterday and started cleaning things up. Is that right? Or what was that like? Yeah. So when we first went back into the house, you know, we could see the water was six inches high. Um, a lot of water damage, um, then we get back into the house, really start cleaning up. You know, probably three days ago, um, and my brother, or sorry, my cousin and I decide, okay, let's start taking up the hardwood because we had hardwood floors in half of our house. It's all ruined. Um, we know the walls have got to come out next. We're hoping some furniture can be saved. Trying to pull up this hardwood. Um, and I laugh now because I had all my life had wanted hardwood floors in a house that I own someday. I will never buy hardwood again. Because <laughs> it's like taking out a jigsaw puzzle that some jerk glued together everywhere. And we're trying to pry apart this hardwood. And it takes us like five hours and we complete one room. And we're about to fall over from exhaustion. And the water coming out smells like a combination of cadavers from med school and bilge pump water and that's spraying on us and it's damp and the house smells like a swamp um and he and i look at each other and realize okay we've done one room in five hours we're exhausted we got six rooms to go and we haven't even started on the walls or the furniture and there's mud everywhere and it smells to high heaven that was just humbling. It's like, I don't know how long it'll take me to finish cleaning out my house, even working as hard as I can. I could be at this a week, two weeks. And that's just to clean it out. That's not to even make it livable yet. So back to my sister-in-law's house we go, because <laughs> we still can't sleep in the house. It's still not really habitable. Um, and that was really, yeah, I put on Facebook how I felt last night. You know, I hit a low. I mean, I, thought i know we can get through this abstractly but this is going to take so long and take so much effort and all the emotions just hit me all at once and you know medical issue that i've been kind of nursing for a couple weeks cropped up right in the middle of all this um that i had to deal with personally and that's when it was just i got to check out for a while mentally um and take a break um, so is that, uh, is that kind of where things stand now is that you, you're in the, the slow process of, of cleaning out your home and, um, you know, going, you know, trying to go room by room and trying to go as, you know, as, as diligently and as fast as you can to do that. And, and obviously, you know, it, it, it's, it's a long process and, um, taking breaks and getting fatigued and going back to your sister's house. And, but that, that's kind of where things stand as far as your home at this point. Yeah. So today the crew from a local real estate agency showed up, we had 10 folks to help us. 
So we got all the hardwood cleared out, took out all the furniture that was damaged, saved what we're going to save, cleaned up all the rooms, at least in terms of getting stuff off the floor and bagged up. And basically it's sorting, what do we throw away? What do we dry out and try to keep? And the street's dry, the house is drying. Um, tomorrow we'll meet with the, the contractor we've used for home household work and his crew will start tearing out the walls. Um, and we'll go from there. I mean, long-term we got to fix floors. We have to replace walls, replace furniture. All the mattresses are unusable. Um, tear out cabinets. And what strikes me is I never realized what flood depth means. So if six inches in my house destroys the furniture, the walls and the floors, now I get how three feet destroys a house. And when I saw stories on the news about somebody with three or four feet of water in their house, like, Oh, their house is gone. They're gonna have to raise it or strip it and rebuild. Um, That's really sobering. I mean, we'll, we'll be okay long term, but it's going to be a long-term struggle for us to get back I, to normal. I know that uh, obviously you're, you're uh, focused on your own home. Um, have you been able to, you know, talk with some of your neighbors and, you know, and uh, I presume it's a you know, very similar situation uh, with their home and, and mentally in that neighborhood. Uh, um, would that be the case? Yeah. So, I'm sure this is true in every city and every neighborhood, but it really amazes a lot of us how our neighborhoods really come together and our city comes together in these kind of situations. Um, neighbors were checking on everybody. When I walked out on those floodwaters, three different people said, make sure you check on that mother and daughter at the end of the street. They're both in poor health. Make sure they're okay. Three different people make sure you knock on their door. Um, so people are knocking on neighbors' doors, walking up and down the yards if they can get back and forth. We go to my sister-in-law's house, the next door neighbor's wife's 37 and a half weeks. She is feeling pressure. So my wife and I are putting together a crash delivery kit that you would laugh at because it's all we had available, but we're mentally preparing to deliver a baby next door if we have to. Um, but people really look out for each other and everyone helps in the way they can. I've got a dryer. I've got a gas range. I can heat water for you. Send your kids. We shuffled kids from house to house so that no one family would have all the kids at one time, but parents could get a break or have time to deal with what they had to deal with. Um, shuffling pets around. If we had to borrowing a generator, um, it really is amazing to see a community come together and people literally were today just walking up down the street. Can we help you? What do you need us to do? Um, very good friend of mine flooded. Also, he had volunteers from all over helping him out. Um, actually, two of the doctors I work with live within a mile of me. We, all three of us flooded. So we're texting each other. What do you need? Which remediation company are you going to use? Have you filed a FEMA claim yet? Um, yeah, I mean, I can go on and on, but really it was great to see everyone try to help each other. I think that's the spirit that really takes over. Um, people just instinctively pull together and everybody checks in. And we talked a little bit before we went live, you know, about, about 
you know, the, the real kind of social media impact and, and how people were connecting with each other or calling for help or, um, you know, using Twitter and Facebook and, and all these uh, social media things. Uh, um, and they were saying that, you know, that this was kind of the, the social media type of a uh, 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 hurricane, a uh, tropical storm. And it, w- w- was that the case that fr- from your point of view, as far as you've been through some of these before and, and you're seeing this digital communication, um, you know, being used to either call for help or to connect families or to connect friends. Um, is, is that kind of what you were seeing in, in kind of in your, Facebook I think so. And, you know, as much as we often joke about social media and you know, you're probably on every platform there is, and a few, I don't know about, um, if I compare it to hurricane Ike and Ike, we lost communication because the cell phone towers went down. The cell networks were severely compromised and it was a huge problem not being able to communicate because I was a medical director of a community health center. The only way I can communicate with the residents and attendings is to go walk to people's houses. Well, they're spread over the whole County. And all I could do is check on neighbors. I didn't even know if the clinic was usable next door to check on the hospital. I'd have to walk to the hospital through some flood water to check on it. Whereas here having communication was huge and to me, Twitter and Facebook were really, really useful. Um, from every time someone posts the questions back, where how are you? Are you okay? For me, often it was, hey, how are your parents? You know, I remember them meeting them 30 years ago. Hey, how's your mom? You know, I can't tell you how many relatives of mine from all over the country. Check on your mom. My mother's widowed. And I told her not to come to my house because I flooded. She actually did great. But... You know, they all want to know how's their cousin doing, how's their sister-in-law doing. Um, that was really helpful to us to get all that love and support and helpful to me to be able to call my mom, talk to her on the phone, and then tell her whole extended family if she's all right. Um, and that just repeated over and over and over. People could post needs for assistance on Facebook. They could post, I'm in trouble on Twitter, you know, the all the law enforcement agencies and rescue agencies, everyone uses Twitter accounts, the county judge, the mayor, on and on. So you can get official updates, you can get warnings, watch out for looters. These people with these jackets are not really law enforcement, don't let them into your house. Um, You know, the mayor, the county judge, and all the head emergency response officials did a live press conference every day at five and it was live streamed on Facebook, just like we are now. And that's huge. You know, we can all see what's going on, get official information. Um, people are posting donate here. If you want to help, Hey, go here. If you need assistance, it was just amazing to see Facebook used in a way that it always could have been, but not as a marketing tool, not as a, Hey, let me see what my friends are doing. Let me see if my friends are okay. Let me see if my family is all right um, in a way that phone calls, that texts, the emails would not have been able to accomplish. And, and you know, something that, that you did very well, Troy, is that, I mean, you were you know, basically, you know, a local reporter, you know, and I saw updates on, 
what was happening to to the structures of the synagogues and and I asked you about the the uh, the hospitals right um, and, and some were evacuating and some were not and 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 you use your Facebook page you know but more is is a little bit as, as a reporter and I don't know if that was you know something intentional or that was maybe a COVID mechanism to try to get the get the get the word out or just in your own mind to to try to just say share what was happening in your community um, I thought that was very well done thanks. Um, was not intentional, but I think it was all, everything you mentioned. You know, a lot of us have talked about how you want to be doing something and how the waiting was really difficult, waiting for the storm to hit. Posting stuff on Facebook is a way for me and a lot of other people to feel like we are helping. Um, and therapy. You know, I need to be doing something positive out of this because I know, I don't know when our house will be whole. I don't know when our lives will be back to normal. But if I can do something positive, that gives me hope and that keeps me going. I think that was true for most of us. Um, and as a way to connect, you know, the County Medical Society put up a website of open pharmacies because I'm trying to call in an antibiotic script for a neighbor who's got cellulitis of his finger and lymphangitis going up his arm. And I don't know what's open and I don't want to get stuck in floodwaters to call to find out, but I can go on to the internet go to that website, put in a zip code, find out what pharmacies and get a prescription called in. And that was possible through the state medical society, county medical society, Facebook, me, and the neighbor. And that just was replicated over and over. Um, you know, part of why I did the reporting thing is I'm a news hound and I also want to make sure accurate information was getting out. You know, that county hospital you talked about, I went to medical school here. I spent half my rotations at the hospital, many hundreds of physicians in this city and county have a deep emotional connection to Ben Taub. And people over the country who trained at Baylor have a deep emotional connection to the hospital. So honestly took it a little personally, and I mean no offense, but you know, I'm gonna get the truth out. And if Ben Taub's evacuating, I want it known. If they're not evacuating, I want it known. And I want the reasons that they made that decision known. Because we know what happened in New Orleans those people came to Houston and we weren't going to have to let that happen in our city. Um, and I want to make sure people knew all the things that we were all trying to do to help um, in any way people could. And if I can post articles that are helpful, um, that's great. If I can connect people to resources, that's great. And I think a lot of us, definitely my physician friends, we're all doing the same thing. People that are wet, people that are dry. Um, yeah, I called a colleague, hey, I need some help with a such and such. He said, great, I'm on the way to pick up a nephew. Then we're going to get my other relative because I'm bringing them all back to my house because they all flooded. But let me call in that script that you need while she's in the car. Um, I don't know. I mean, this is, I mean, it sounds like a dumb question, but I mean, like, I mean, are you working? I mean, are, are your no. people reaching out to you? I mean, are they saying, hey, you know, I have this illness or I'm running out of my insulin or, you know, is that is that type of situation happening to you? Um, so it hasn't happened to me yet, but, you know, a couple of things we did that worked really well. Um, we have a chronic care manager in our office who's a nurse. And before the storm, she called all our chronic care patients um, in the Medicare chronic care management program who are our sickest patients and asked everyone, are you okay? What do you need before the storm? We tried to call in scripts early and make sure people had what they needed. Um, 
we had to shut down our office because even though the office was okay, one doctor was trapped in an evacuation order and couldn't get back to his house. Me and my other colleague who live a mile apart were both flooded out and living with relatives and we couldn't get to the office. So we shut down our, we have eight clinics across the city. We shut down all eight clinics through Wednesday, reopened half the clinics Thursday. Um, my clinic will stay closed because our patients are scattered over, I don't know where, because they evacuated a lot of Fort Bend County where we work. Our two of us can't get there. And now that we can get there, we're busy repairing our houses. The third doctor still has to be careful where he goes because they have evacuation orders in place. And there's some areas of his neighborhood that aren't safe. So we made the decision to keep our office closed until Tuesday because I thought, one, we can't get there to work. Two, we don't even know where our patients are. Um, I did log in, checked our EMR, um, did a refill that had come up. And basically, I have to give a big shout out to Dr. Clive Fields, Dr. Alex Sue, um, Jennifer Sully, and everyone else that got our kept our office running virtually. You know, the people that were on call over the weekend took call through the first half of the week. Everything we could get to the main office got there. People worked out of their homes. Um, you know, Dr. Fields is the senior partner, and he volunteered to take call for all of us that couldn't. And that's a way we were able to keep the system running and get patients what they needed. Countywide, you know, the Red Cross kicked in all the hospitals, the hospital systems worked really hard to set up shelters, provide emergency care, get meds to people who needed it. So I haven't heard of any major issues because really anyone could get to a shelter or a hospital got there. Everyone who could help helped and our hospitals and hospital systems learned from Ike, learned from Rita and Katrina. We have tiers of response teams and messaging systems for all the hospitals. And I was getting texts telling me, okay, your team C, stay at home. Team B, go in with three days of supplies. Team A, go home now, come back in three days. Um, so I think we have robust enough systems we're able to avoid any crises and cope with a disaster on a medical level. Um, an example is it's gone so well, they're turning doctors away from the shelters because we have too many. But we need social workers if any social workers are free. Uh, yeah, that was, that, that was uh, one of my last four questions for you. So, so the first question is, you know, um, you, know you said social workers. Um, you know, what, what, what else have you heard that is needed um, in your kind of, in a micro community or in the community in general, that is. That so, is being I would say pretty much all the needs are being met in some degree. Medically, we have plenty of physicians, plenty of nurses. There's a need for social workers and psychiatrists for basically counseling of disaster trauma, mental disaster trauma. Um, so that's a current ongoing need. Supplies. There's more medical supplies. There's plenty of medical supplies in all the shelters. Um, Red Cross is gradually winnowing their list and getting more and more specific. They've got mountains of blankets and pillows and kids' clothes and toys. Um, everything down to feminine hygiene products, toiletries. Really, any need is being met. Any need that's not met goes up on 
Twitter and Facebook. It's spread everywhere. And I've got my aunt in Albany, New York, asking, where do I send baby clothes? Um, my sister-in-law has been really active in the local Jewish Federation's disaster relief effort um, and actually made it home tonight. Last night, she was out really late coordinating that. So we're getting the help we need. Um, gasoline supplies on the way, the grocery chains are, you know, send in trucks as soon as the waters were down enough to send in trucks to replenish the grocery stores. Um, there's some scattered fuel shortages, but it's not a major issue at this point. Uh, but also I'm not driving anywhere and keep my tank full. So a lot of the County judge and the mayor said, if you don't have to go anywhere, don't go anywhere. Law enforcement said the same thing. Stay off the roads unless you have to be on the roads. And I think the majority of people are heeding that advice because it's just common sense and they've got enough to do with their own homes to stay put. Um, so my second of my last four questions is um, you mentioned you're a news, you're a news hound, which I really appreciate. Um, is there any uh, misinformation or any kind of fake news uh, that you wanted to clear up uh, that is, is wrong in kind of the general media? So my favorite one is Floyd Merriweather did not give 200 million to the city. I wish that was true. Um, but no offense to the famous boxer, someone faked that story. Um, there's a kerfuffle over a change in the penalties for insurance claims that don't adequately pay on flood insurance claims. The rules change September 1st, which is tomorrow. What, a lot of people are very confused on as they think you have to file your flood insurance claim by September 1st. I've talked to my insurance agent. I've read the official releases from my state representative who's an insurance attorney and from another state representative I know who's an anesthesiologist and former hospital chief of staff. And they've explained in detail, submit your claim. There's not a September 1st deadline for claims. The changes affect your potential settlement if you have to sue your insurance company because they didn't do what they said they would do contractually. But that's probably the, one of the biggest bits of information because people are worried about their homes. I mean, we, we still know for sure. We think we'll be able to save the house. We hope so. Um, it'll help a lot to get that flood insurance payment. Um, probably really no other major misinformation, but we definitely all had to watch very carefully because Somebody posted a Jewish charity. I shared it. My wife shared it. And my sister-in-law says, wait, that thing that popped up in our fees, it's not a real charity. So we all did take that post down. Um, and then make sure we're watching to see what the real posts are. And it's tricky. You know, we're all trying to help, but in trying to help, at the same time, you can spread misinformation and not even realize you're doing it. And that flood insurance thing is a classic example. No one meant any ill will. I had friends in you know, Minnesota posting the articles. But I'm glad, too, this government officials could get out on social media and say, no, this isn't true. Here's what the story is. Um, so, yeah, I know the real major issues. just, you know, there's a great Time Magazine article about how the hospital systems dealt with a disaster, and I definitely recommend it. Um, a medical classmate of mine who is an OB-GYN 
who's at one of the women's hospitals at Texas Children's in St. Luke's, put that out. And it was a great summary of how all the healthcare system, hospital systems are working closely with EMS, with law enforcement, fire and rescue to take care of everybody and deal with situations like the county hospital where the kitchen was damaged. They couldn't provide hot meals. They tried to evacuate. They couldn't get patients out, but they could get staff in. So they quickly switched gears from evacuating all their critical patients to we'll bring in all the staff we need because they can be kayaked across the ditch and we'll keep the patients here because that's safer. And then they got in food, they repaired the kitchen and now they're up and running again. Um, so that was the probably the biggest issue was personal to me was, yes, we kept patients in hospitals, but there's reasons why we did that. And we did it because transfers can be really dangerous in a disaster situation. And it, in the end, worked out better to bring surgeons, nurses, food, whatever was needed to a hospital, because they're often the safest buildings in the area, than try to move patients in a storm. And you saw some awesome stories. I mean, where I grew up, the hospital where my father was treated before he died, true story, they canoed a pediatric surgeon to the hospital to relieve a torus testicle. And they had to boat the patient to the hospital to get him his surgery. And that's pretty amazing. But I put the post up there because I thought, here's 20, 30 people at least who made this happen. And that's amazing. But that happened over and over. Um, so my, my next, uh, the last question is, um, sure. What, what, what message do you have to, you know, your friends or strangers or, you know, anybody who has, you know, reached out to you, uh, during this time? Um, I, you know, as I said before, I can only imagine, uh, going through that in a very, very tough time. Uh, uh, do you have a message for, for those people who, who have, reached out to you uh, either uh, virtually or, or otherwise uh, to help out your situation? Um, I would say one, if you don't think you can help, you can always help. And all the likes, all the Facebook comments, the love and support have had a huge emotional impact on all of us and kept us going. So it helps my friends and family scattered across the whole country feel connected. And it really helps keep our morale up and reminds us that we're part of a big community. Um, we're going to be okay. We'll, yeah, I'm going to lapse into cliches, but I'm sorry. I'm a native Houstonian, a native Texan, and we're going to take care of ourselves. We'll make sure everyone in our city is all right. And we'll keep working until the job's done. And being Texans, we promise to ask for help. Um, and we promise to accept it. Um, but we're going to be all right. Uh, and, and those of you who are, who are watching live now, and I really appreciate all, all the, the uh, views that we've had um, or even watching afterward, um, our friends at the uh, Texas Academy of Family Physicians, you go to their Facebook page, you know, they make some suggestions of uh, the American Red Cross and the Salvation Army. And, and I've had a lot of things on my Facebook feed to donating to certain charities. Uh, uh, Troy, do you have any, any other recommendations as far as organizations to donate to? Um. No, I think if it's if you want to help medically, the Harris County Medical Society, the Texas Medical Association, Harris County Academy of Physicians, and Texas Academy are great places to start. 
if you want to help with supplies, I would start with the Red Cross and work your way out from there. Because you don't want to get caught with a charity that maybe is not doing the help that's necessary. And there's also too many local charities to keep track of. So Red Cross is a great place to start. For my part of town, um, the Jewish Federation of Greater Houston is the headquarter model for my house. 71% of Jews in Houston live within a few miles of where I am. That's why you see so many posts about synagogues. Um, they've kicked into high gear and are taking chair donations, coordinating volunteers. But I guarantee if you called up the Baptists, the Methodists, the Catholics, the Lutherans, every religious organization I'm sure is kicked into high gear. So those are good places to start. Um, and I can't, I'm sure I'm missing a ton of local organizations that are also helpful. Um, and they connect with the right people. Uh, and my last question for you, and it, it may be just too soon to ask, uh, but I'm going to ask it anyway, uh, since you're still kind of in it, um, you know, other things that, um, you know, that you, you've learned about yourself, you've learned about your family, um, going through this, you know, very unique, stressful, you know, type situation over the past, you know, seven to 10 days. Yeah, I would say, um, I'm someone who always thought I could handle whatever would come at me, whatever a storm would bring. I've been through it and this showed me I can get through it, but also I can get the blank scared out of me. Um, and that's real. And I have to deal with my own little disaster stress and work through it. And I'm okay. Um, so that was humbling. And yet I think important for me to go through because now I don't have the illusions of, Oh, it's just another storm. Um, and it cured me of that kind of false bravado in a way that I had in my own head. Um, I'll say my wife is amazing. Um, she's organized all the insurance details is awesome in crises. Um, juggling everyone's mental health, the dogs, the kids, mine, everybody's. Um, so she's been fabulous. My sister-in-law and brother-in-law are great. Um, hosting us, him cooking us hot meals is awesome. Um, I've learned my kids are really resilient. Um, when we were in the interior hallway with a tornado warning, my son brought chips and water bottles. He's almost got his Eagle Scout. The Boy Scout training kicked in and he did an amazing job. Um, and my son has high-functioning Asperger's, so you can imagine what it's like when you're on the spectrum. So that was amazing. Sorry. Um, and my oh. daughter was just did great, too. Um, as my wife like, said it best, you know you've raised your kid right when she's more worried about her homework and than her shoes. <laughs> and i mean really worried dad i gotta get into my room we can't open the door because the floor's buckled well dad i gotta get in my room to make sure all my homework's okay and check all my books i'm not worried about the clothes they're replaceable school starts next week um and i'm the proudest father in the world of those two because i'm telling them this is the worst storm you may ever go through and are you okay and they're hanging in there that's pretty impressive. Uh, Troy Fessinger, I want to thank you for sharing your story. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, 
just doing what you do down there. Um, I was hesitant to kind of reach out to you because I didn't want to feel like I was kind of taking advantage of the whole situation. But I know that following your Facebook feed, following you on social media, I know that you wanted to tell your story. I wanted to uh, tell one story from Houston. Um, and uh, you're you're going to be going to uh, San Antonio to the Congress. I will be in San Antonio. At Lord Wellen and the Creek Don't Rise, as they say. Rise again, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I should be there. So, so it's hard to think about it now. I'll, I promise I'll shave between now and then. <laughs> so you will be there. Uh, I have bathed. <laughs> we'll be there in about 10 days. Um, yeah. With, with the rest of our friends from the American Academy of Family Physicians. Uh, um, and if, if I get a huge shout out, um, sorry to interrupt, but yeah, go ahead. for the AAP Foundation to make Disaster Relief, the charity. Um, words can express how it feels for us. That is amazing thing. We were very appreciative, and that's huge for the Academy to do. I've never been on the receiving end of a AP Foundation annual meeting charity, but I'm glad y'all are helping us out. Uh, I think you said it before, Troy. I mean, you know, we just, we we help each other, um, and uh, that, that that's one of the the great things that that we all have all have seen. Uh, not just the Houston area, that part of the country, um, you know, southeast Texas, Louisiana, you know, wh- wherever this storm is, is spreading, um, it's uh, it's. Uh, Fascinating and inspiring to see um, see these stories that, that are. We're just going to see more of these stories come out. Um, Troy, is, is there anything that, that we didn't uh, talk about? Anything else that any kind of messages or any anything else that you wanted to share um, before we kind of close things up tonight? I think the final thing I'll say is, um, you know, I was residency faculty for ten years in this area, so I know a lot of folks around, and it was great to see a lot of posts from former residents. Um, current and former colleagues, especially residents I helped train who are at disaster shelters, who are on disaster duty at their hospitals, who um, are really just stepping in and doing exactly what family doctors do, which is, what do you need me to do? I'll do whatever it is and help. Um, And I'll give a special shout out to my friend, Laura Olson Armstrong, who super glued a head lack and reduced nursemaid's elbow. Now, these are on her two kids in her own house because she couldn't get out to any healthcare facility. Um, but that, to me, that sums it up is you do what you got to do. you got the skills to take care of almost any situation. And um, everybody's just done an awesome job down to the interns and residents who did disaster duty at the hospitals. They all did a fabulous job and should be very proud. Uh, well, thank you so much for for sharing so much time uh, with us this evening. I know you got to be exhausted for a number of reasons on a number of different levels. Um, uh, but Troy, th- thank you so much for the time. Um, I hope that uh, you know that, that we will see you in San Antonio for the AFP meeting. I know there's a lot of people um, out there who's going to be going uh, to see you and, and to see a lot of people from that uh, part of the world just to give you a big hug and uh, um, to uh, just, you know, say hello. And, and again, you know, AFP foundation, afpfoundation.org. 
Uh, I put that on my uh, uh, Facebook uh, uh, timeline. Um, and I know a lot of, of our friends in the Family Medicine Revolution are going to be uh, donating to that. Um, Troy, thanks again for the time. You know, I will, I, I will see you in, yeah. in San Antonio. Um, all our friends will see you in San Antonio. Um, I, I will give you the last word tonight. I would say thank you, everyone. Um, your thoughts and prayers are really appreciated. And it makes me feel really good to know we're not on this alone, that I'm in this with my neighbors, with my patients, my colleagues, and my family medicine family. Thank you, everyone. And uh, so that ends our program tonight, kids. Uh, I will rebroadcast this on all my social media things. Troy knows all about them. Uh, so but just go to drmixville.com and follow me on Twitter. And uh, I will be broadcasting from San Antonio. Uh, so we will see all of our friends uh, very soon.